Hey guys, welcome to the London Lift podcast. Today we're going to talk about why you should not have squat, bench, and deadlift in your program. Confession is a little bit of a clickbaity title because it's not an absolute statement, but we are going to be evaluating the pros and cons of these movements and whether they are essential in your program or not. And obviously Rob's got a lot of insight with his powerlifting background as well. But before we get into it, don't forget to click the link in the description box below to get your seven day free trial to Rob's strength formula program, which is your answer to the strength and muscle building equation. Full of squat, bench and deadlift, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Also a big thank you to thetrainingstimulus.com Please check out the website if you are a functional fitness coach or practitioner looking to improve your understanding of movement mechanics. And finally, a big thank you to zagsupplements.com, our favorite daily supplement. Zag is a liquid gel shot containing 29 vitamins, nootropics, and adaptogens that have significantly improved our concentration and getting us dialed in for work, training, and keeping our energy levels high for the whole day. They are about to have a restock. So yeah. be quick with a trigger finger and use our discount code DISCLIFT20, D-I-S-C-L-I-F-T-2-0, to get 20% off your two-week trial pack. All right, let's get into it. Yeah, so obviously today's topic come from a bit of a listener question, and we kind of worded it in a slightly different way because we felt we'd already kind of addressed part of the questions but we felt that actually this was a topic which gets spoken about a lot especially like for someone like myself who is obviously a big fan of squat bench and deadlift in people's training new enough for everyone um i see there being value in these lifts for most people however i also understand where it might not be applicable and I thought this is be this will be a really cool episode to maybe dive into that idea because the question itself was talking about what's the difference between testing for a one rep max compared to like general strength and robustness and like building just strength as an overall method of training. And we have addressed this already kind of in previous episodes. Do you remember what they were? Yeah, one was what's CrossFit missing as a GPP program. We've also done one on the art and science of strength training, which yeah. is kind of um, what do you want to get strong for? And that sports specificity. Sports specificity. That's yeah. one. Sports specificity. Shit. Yeah. So we've we've spoken <laughs> we've spoken a lot about these kind of ideas about the difference between rum rep max testing and the is it really essential for most people to actually. For building strength compared to say someone that's looking to just be generally strong at life and robust and that can obviously be quite an open-ended like answer because general strength and robustness is well what you're looking to be generally strong and robust for so you have to have some specificity in that and if it's for life what does your life entail does your life entail kids does it not entail kids does it entail um, a laborious job or is it is it what you sitting at a desk so you know we still have to have some measures in there of some sort but then we can maybe be a little bit more loose with those exercises that we choose as a form of measure we might not be need to be so married to the traditional squat bench and deadlift and that's kind of how like today's episode kind of come about because if you look at nearly any strength program online including mine will have strength, uh, will have squat, 
bench and deadlift as a measure throughout that. However, I will put a caveat with my strength method, uh, strength formula is I test people's three rep max for most of the stuff because I don't see the need, especially in the intro week, because I don't personally see the need for a run one rep max at the start, especially if this is someone not, not necessarily comfortable with testing a one rep max because that's a skill in itself. So by taking the people through a three rep max test where they've probably got some in the tank, take them through a 12-week cycle and by the end of that 12 weeks, we then test their three and then we test their one. So we've built the skill, we've built some learnings along the way. Now, for me, the reason, and then we go into some more details, the reason why I like a one rep max squat, bench and deadlift is because they're a very accessible exercise for most people and that if they want to be stronger than just some like in, in a gym environment, for me, it's a nice tool to use and a nice three simple exercises to use that can easily be measured and managed over a cycle and then progressed or moved on from. But they kind of give us a good foundation to then build other things upon. That's my fight for squat, bench and deadlift. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I think it's, it's an interesting discussion to me because there's a lot of things that we just, when you start working in fitness, that are just taken for granted as true and a lot of people couldn't explain why so like if you ask the question to a lot of people why do we why does everybody squat bench and deadlift they probably say they're functional compound movements that are fundamental human patterns and i don't fully disagree with that but i don't think they are the most important human movement patterns i think we've covered this a lot in recent episodes where essentially the human body has evolved for gait. So if you look at the structure of the skeleton, the, yeah, literally the bones, the ligaments, the tendons, the muscles, and how they're organized, it's very obvious that they are optimized for locomotion, for walking, for running, um, sprinting. And squat and deadlift have a lot of similarities in how those movements generate force, and they can tap into those gait mechanics but they're obviously bilateral rather than unilateral and they're on the spot going up and down rather than transporting us forwards through space. And bench press is lying on our back. Um, so yeah, not necessarily in sync with how the human body has evolved. So the question we've got to ask is squat, bench and deadlift. They are often the foundation of many training programs, but is this, just because we've inherited this line of thinking rather than because we've gone from scratch and uh, designed something exactly for what we want. And I got a email newsletter from, I think it's Chris Williamson recently, and he had a cool story in it where essentially, I'm gonna hmm. absolutely butcher this, but try and get the principle across. In Roman days, they designed the roads to be of a certain width because military chariots were a certain width. They then designed the sort of passenger chariots, the non-military ones, to be the same size, so they would also fit on the same roads. This eventually led to train tracks being of a similar width, which then led to um, trains being built around the width of these train tracks, which were evolved from Roman chariot roads. And then, like flash forwards further into the future, you had um, a space shuttle being designed 
and part of the space shuttle was built to be a certain size because it had to be transported on a railway. So you've now got a space shuttle, literally the most high-tech <laughs> vehicle known to man, being built, constrained by, the, the joke is, the width of two horses' asses. And <laughs> nobody, like, if you went from first principles, you probably would design the space shuttle differently, but they had to design it through a certain lens because of the history that had been inherited. And I think that principle is kind of present here for mm. squat bench and deadlift in that everywhere's got a barbell, everywhere's got a squat rack, everywhere's got a bench press. So we're kind of designing our programs because of that convenience. But if we took a big step back and zoomed out and thought, what are we actually training for? Is this from first principles, how we would ideally go about it? I'm gonna present a case for and against squat bench and deadlift to say, you know, they have some positives, but there are also some drawbacks. So maybe we could think about things slightly differently. Yeah, and I think also where you mentioned about how things, when you go right back like that, even for people coming into the industry, you're kind of taught and the level three, okay, here's a squat, here's a here's a chest press and here's a deadlift. So it's like, and then most of the time they are teaching to it with a barbell, mainly because it's easier to stabilize and create more tension through and, and it's easier to then take a someone that's more of a beginner through um i say a chest press using a barbell compared to say dumbbells because of the fact that they can stabilize better through the barbell and if you're teaching that at the entry level to then say okay maybe you might not need that you know when you see that meme of kind of like the the um the graph where it goes up so you start as a newbie and by the time you're at the mid-range you're like everything needs to be specific and then it goes back to being actually there's probably room for nuance and other things in between so you kind of go back to where you started at kind of knowing not that much but kind of knowing a lot at the same time and i felt and i, I feel with the squat bench and deadlift uh, debate I personally feel that there is like the, the the ability to kind of coach people through a nice bilateral movement and then regret then I say regress actually going to change that word in and then turn to um, progress them to unilateral loading with that same barbell is a really interesting way of going about things. So let's maybe break down some of the pros and I've kind of obviously mentioned one of them there's and the ability to create stability as well through um, a barbell can then help you through a movement pattern yeah yeah exactly so there's a principle in movement that to generate the maximum amount of force your body needs to feel stable so this is one of the reasons why bodybuilding machines exist in that they give you a lot of stability and only allow movement in the plane of motion that will target your target muscle and these big barbell compound movements are one step back from that in that they're slightly less stable, but they're still quite stable in that you've got a nice barbell to uh, attach yourself to, brace on your both feet on the floor or you're lying down. So you can actually generate a lot of force compared to unilateral stance or through motion. And for overloading a muscle for a strength stimulus, this is a good thing we can put, you can bench press more than you can dumbbell bench press almost always and you could back squat more than you could single leg squat almost always so from that perspective this is one of the reasons why they've become so popular in that it's very easy to make somebody stronger in the muscles that are 
worked in these movements. So there's clearly a good business case for having them in programs where strength is one of the objectives. So let's now go on the con of that. So obviously we had things kind of listed out as pros and cons, but let's, I think, do the argument to and from, because I think we can kind of keep it on this uh, topic. And like for me, having using the barber with a, quite a newbie, essentially, that I have, say, I've got gone through a bit of a movement uh, session with them. I can kind of see they've got some decent enough squat mechanics and they've goblet squatted pretty fine. So I was like, cool, okay, let's get to a barbell. And they've been able to squat pretty well. Now, obviously, this is when if we get someone pretty strong at the barbell back squat and then we take them off and say, okay, let's go and do some unilateral work now as some accessories. Because we have maybe put too much um, focus on a bilateral movement like that, going into a unilateral exercise, they then are going to lack the stability because we haven't necessarily coached it enough. We haven't gone through those positions enough. So a barbell back squat could actually be quite detrimental because if you're putting all your eggs in that basket of becoming strong at a squat pattern like a barbell back squat, you're leaving so much on the table elsewhere. And then obviously this yeah. comes down this comes down to like program design and balance across the board. But if we're just keeping it as a simple as comparing egg, apples with apples, let's stick with this. Yeah, exactly. So I describe that phenomenon as being stronger than you can stabilize where you've developed a huge amount of strength in this very specific pattern and you're very good at pushing both feet into the floor with a barbell on your back, standing up. But as soon as that setup changes, you now lack motor control, you lack coordination. And you see this a lot where people can back squat almost the world, but they can barely stand on one foot. We talked about balance recently. Um, and their lunges look awful because they're so not used to working their limbs individually and they're used to having the other limb to push into so this actually can increase your chances of injury because you've you've massively improved your ability to generate force but you've not built the associated stability to control that force so let's say you are a rugby player or a football player you're using that strength and you can yeah, in your preferred setup, you can contract your muscles and create loads of tension, loads of force, but only in a specific direction. As soon as you then move out of that, you're now able to produce way more force than you could do previously, but you don't have the coordination to actually control that force and you can get yourself into sticky situations and potentially, yeah, hurt yourself. So this would be the con to go with the reason that the stability is good because it allows you to build a lot of strength and overload muscles but then the stability is bad because it doesn't force your body to develop the stability which can protect it in other scenarios yeah and i i see this especially because i remember when i was getting into rugby and like it just when i because i went into rugby league and it's a little bit more upright of a game and i kind of I, I was struggling to kind of understand the, the tackling nature essentially instead of just running into someone i had to learn how to kind of like dip and drive up into them and when i then when people say like you know you want to get strong like using things like box squats are great because it's that kind of like mid-range power out but you'd hope to never be in a box squat stance otherwise you'd be able to be pushed straight over so you're going to have a dominant leg forward and you'll be driving more of one leg rather than the other so yes a box squat might be a really good way at being relatively sport specific 
but only if you staggered the stance because really like you just you would not want to be in that state and kind of this this is kind of leading into a little bit like into the next one being like with bilateral but for me having the um ability to push through one leg more than the other is a key if you're trying to get strong overall and like going back to like the question from the listener like that robustness of being that that's where you might want to do something that's a little bit more unconventional so like having a staggered stance box squat because you might play rugby so you might Mm -hmm. say okay this could actually be something that could be really beneficial might do the bilateral stuff to overload it and then I might do a back off set of some unilateral work based off that. So it's then taking the um, idea of a bilateral movement and then making it a little bit more specific. Yeah, exactly. We talk about this in a lot of detail in that sports specificity episode. But the clearer we are about what you want your body to be able to do, the better we can prepare it for it. And if we know you're a rugby player and we know you're going to need to generate a lot of force from split stances in various different directions, then we can choose exercises that better replicate that. But the notion that squat, bench and deadlift are going to give you a broad base of physical preparedness for a significant portion, a significant uh, proportion of sports, I think is misleading. And um, if they are the the three th- the three key things that you focus on, you will be leaving some big gaps. And those are the kind of things we talk about in that CrossFit um, episode, where really the things that the human body needs, or most people would consider to be generally robust, are more diverse, generally are not bilateral. And um, yeah, like Rob said there, in most sporting situations, the m- setups where you need to generate maximum force very rarely mimic squatting and deadlifting let alone bench pressing so sticking with the bilateral stuff and this is where we've mentioned already that it's great at being able to overload the body so as a way to kind of lift maximum amount of weight bilaterals are doing it with your two feet in the same sort of position is going to be the probably most optimal way at creating the most amount of force from the ground up now yeah that's yeah yeah Yeah. go on i think from the ground up yeah 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 from the ground (laughs) up so so (laughs) now my the 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 con that i think we can kind of go straight into from this though is kind of like what you mentioned there but this is now where we're going to have the big risk of creating a bigger imbalance in our body so like where we're going to have these muscle imbalances if we're doing purely bilateral movements as our main drivers all the time like squat bench and deadlift and not having any unilateral work as our say main strength pieces potentially then we're going to be leaving that massive like massive potential on the table just like i said earlier because for me like having these imbalances through a bilateral movement where we're then just ingraining this say one side stronger than the other you're basically doing like a unilateral lift anyway but you're just not doing it on purpose and your body's just finding the strongest path to create its force output yeah exactly so one of the great things about compound movements is that they use most of our muscles all together all at the same time But the drawback of the compound movement is that if you have an imbalance or even just a predisposition to prefer loading certain muscle groups more than others, 
you will be training those muscle groups more than the others. So over time, the imbalance will actually get exacerbated and become more pronounced because you're not giving an opportunity for the lesser used muscles to catch up. So if all you're doing is these big compound lifts, let's take a yeah, a couple of simple examples. Simplest would be left leg versus right leg. If your left leg is stronger than your right leg, then when you're squatting, you're going to lean onto your left leg and try and use it more because it makes it easier. And then your left leg gets even stronger because it's had more of a training yeah. stimulus. Equally, if you've got really strong quads and your glutes aren't great, then you might drive your knees forwards, use your quads even more, and then your quads get even stronger and your glutes don't get much of a stimulus. So you become more and more quad dominant over time to the point where it can actually be detrimental and potentially injurious. So by focusing on these big compound movements, unless you are aware of the fact that these things can build up over time and you're getting ahead of it in your accessory work or you're checking in doing a movement assessment or something like that, you have the potential to neglect certain joint motions and therefore neglect using some of the muscles which in a perfect world would be getting stimulated by these big compound lift lifts but in reality they often are not yeah and i think this kind of brings in the case of like going heavy on unilateral work like we recently spoke about on one of our episodes when we're watching chris speed do some like single leg like bottom-up squats essentially from the rack and like just the sheer load of say 180 kilos just going through his one leg and like as a, it's an impressive feat of strength and this is where even like myself in the past i know i've gone okay cool i can do a heavy squat but i'm then only going to use say two 20 kilo dumbbells on some like so some step ups or, or some lunges or something like that and i'm like my legs can handle more than that they just can if i'm squatting say use 220s because it's easy math so 220 to squat i should be able to technically do 110 on both legs as a minimum really i should be able to probably do a little bit more but like the reality is is like because it's a because of the other requirements of a single limb exercise normally the stability factor that's obviously what hinders us so much so kind of go leaning into a bit of the pro here of having when we mentioned earlier about the extra stability um pro of being able to use the barbell to stabilize against can help us go heavier compared to say exactly. using dumbbells and having a lot more free motion so is the con obviously on that side of stuff however is by then having these bilateral movements in say variations of our lifts you're kind of making uh, you're making it you're making the best of a bad situation in a way when you could just be probably doing something a little bit better to address a an issue a little bit more up front like for instance using a um a dumbbell rather than a barbell so you create that free muscle so you've got more you're having to stabilize with more motion you're having to stabilize against and obviously if you're trying to make it a bit more specific to a certain sport say like running anything that's locomotive anything where we're moving always be quite beneficial as well yeah so i think the question you've got to ask when you're picking the movement there is what is the training stimulus that you're trying to elicit is it absolute strength in in that case then you want a stable setup because then you can get the most tension through a muscle. And this is the business case for things like leg press, because you're so stable, you're like absolutely fixed in place. Yeah. You're, yeah, you're grabbing on with your hands, bracing absolutely everything else. All you need to do is press your legs and you can 
yeah, you generally press like hundreds of kilos more than you could yeah. on a barbell. And uh, on the other side of the spectrum, if the stimulus that you seek is stability, what you want to do is create a setup where you are asking the body part you want to generate the stability in to stabilize the movement in that pattern. So if you're doing some sort of split squat, then you want to set it up so that the foot, the knee, the hip have to stabilize through that squat pattern. And this is where it gets murky, where you see people do some setups where they are doing a single leg exercise, but stabilizing with their hands. So they might be holding the rig with both hands. They're then doing a single leg exercise, but doing the stabilizing with the upper body. So they can get more of a strength stimulus through that single leg. But you've got to ask the question then, is the stability demand actually that high in the leg? If you've actually got both feet on the floor and both hands on the rig, it's actually maybe even more stable than doing a barbell back squat when you don't have hand support as yeah. well. You see people lift lots of weight like that. And it's, I'm not saying it's pointless, but I think if you're clear on the intention of what you want out of the exercise, then it makes it the decision about how you would set it up uh, a bit simpler to choose. And um, yeah, that stability point I think is important in the, if you are looking to be generally robust, as the listener says, then being more stable than you are strong is safer, but less sexy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's exactly that because I feel like, I I do feel there's a little bit of a shift at the moment. And I kind of mentioned this before, like with social media, because the, the the unfortunate thing is, is most people's training is geared to what they can share on social media. A lot of the time, there's a lot of right. Is my is this lift going to be sexy enough for social media? If not, and it's just like your average deload, well, I don't really want to post that because it doesn't look that good. But if it's like a big heavy rep max or something like that, and then that then begs the question is in like why are you lifting and i had this question to myself recently and it's like so i transitioned to the sumo deadlift after my main uh after my powerlifting competition and hitting my numbers that i've always wanted so i shifted to the sumo deadlift and i was asking myself like can i achieve what i did on the conventional deadlift so obviously i have a rep like one rep max as my goal specific target that is what i'm working on now doing sumo deadlifts i've been doing them for 12 weeks and every session i was just dreading just wasn't looking forward to it i just didn't like it it just wasn't feeling good and it was i just didn't get on with it it just wasn't the exercise for me and then i had to ask the re where this is going is i then had to ask myself why am i doing this like why and and, and basically it was because i want and I, I think i stemmed it down to the thing of i didn't want to say i basically i didn't back myself to be able to hit 300 again or surpass it. So I decided to shift to an exercise which is different so that when I post it on social media, it's, it's there's no comparison. And then I asked myself, I was like, why am I doing that? I'm not then training for me anymore. I'm training for the social media sphere, essentially. I'm like, that is not what I want to be doing. And as soon as I did a session in a commercial stance, I had one of the best sessions I'd ever had because I was like, I'm so glad to be exactly where I feel best and not trying to force yeah. myself in. Like, yes, I could probably get strong 
in the sumo deadlift. But I ask myself, why do I want to get stronger? It's not, I don't enjoy the position. So why am I forcing myself to enjoy something? Because of this, the social media effect, essentially. And it, it fascinated me because I had to ask quite a few questions to kind of stem it back, back to, all the way to that. And then it mm. kind of, and, and the reason that this kind of really uh, like highlights for me is because then when you go to this listener's question is in like, building one RM strength versus general strength and robustness for me switching to sumo was kind of just then turning it into general strength just getting stronger in a different position rather than really test I know I was obviously working to a heavy one but I like, that was kind of like a general strength and robustness speed getting strong in a different position whereas for me my true comfort my true strength potential is wants to be in the conventional deadlift so mm. just and that was a random side tangent but it kind of got me thinking about like this and like the the way that social media kind of affects people's programming and and that's me saying I've been affected by that exact thing so it's like it's not that we're all like oh because I know about it I'm going to be not victim to it but it's just it's crazy because then we we look to do things that we just don't really want to do yeah and I think that does play into the squat bench deadlift discussion in that because everyone else is doing it you feel like you should also be doing it so if you're doing a full program, yeah, it should, in air quotes, contain squat, bench, and deadlift because that is what a strength program contains. But the reality is you could get very strong not doing squat, bench, and deadlift, yeah. just other movements. And people were getting very strong for a long time not doing them before they were so prevalent. And, yeah, that's exactly why we're having this discussion, essentially, is to just get to the the nuts and bolts of what the movements give you, what they don't give you, and the pros and cons. Mm. Um, so yeah, the, the other, the next pro we were going to talk about was that um, you can use squats and deadlifts to be either knee or hip dominant if you do them right. So you can actually use them as a form of corrective whilst also being a strength movement. So. Obviously, with the back squat, you've got low bar and high bar. And in the deadlift, you've got conventional, you've got sumo. But also within conventional, you've got like a high hip deadlift, you've got stiff-legged deadlift, you've got RDLs, and you've got a more squatty leg pressy deadlift. So within just those few variations of those big lifts, you're actually getting quite distinct stimuli through the body, and you're training different movement patterns. So depending on where you want to go with your training and what it's for, each of those options can really help you improve in those ways. And I think that that aspect to these lifts is almost underutilized in even just like the distinction between a leg pressy deadlift and a very hingy deadlift isn't capitalized on enough, in my opinion. People just deadlift full stop and deadlift in the way that they can do heaviest. Whereas actually it's a real opportunity to ingrain some good movement mechanics, which can support other movements beyond the deadlift. Yeah. And I, but I think that does obviously then boil down to the thing of, are you trying to become absolutely strong in the squat bench yeah. or deadlift? I'll say using the deadlift as an example, or are you using it as a overall strength building exercise? And it leads back to the thing of why are you doing this particular exercise? And if you understand the why, and it is say you're competing in a powerlifting competition or you're powerlifting in, sorry, trying to get one RM strength for a competition of some sort doesn't have to necessarily be powerlifting. 
then fair enough, find your strongest position possible to create the most amount of force. However, if you're doing it as a general all-roundness, and like when as a listener asked about, you know, just general strength and like being pretty robust, maybe having a cycle of a more squat-based deadlift, then more of a say straight-legged deadlift, then a bit more of an in-between deadlift, you know, strengthening these positions and also then feeling out you might actually want to do two cycles on one because it felt so good. It's like actually this high hip deadlift actually feels really good in my hamstrings, and I actually get a really good like lower back stimulation from it. So it could be a really good um, accessory, but because we're so primed to say this is how to deadlift, it's like, no, no, this is a way of deadlifting. And I the, the I really, it come to real like fruition for me when I switched to the deadlift bar and I realized I couldn't do my normal deadlift, say, setup in using the deadlift bar because of the extra flex so I had to create a different setup to lift and that then led to the thing of my shoulders being protracted that lent to me being a little bit more upright in this in the deadlift and it completely changed my deadlift stance and that then made me actually zoom out a lot more and realize actually like deadlifting as a whole isn't just this one particular like hips at 75 degrees or 60 degrees and then torso angle this like it's just not that but understanding mm. when and where to utilize the variations within that is like it's is awesome because it's it's a great exercise to overload. And this is we definitely don't want today to come over the way of like saying we don't want to be doing these main lists because they're an awesome way to progressively overload the body in a very heavy way, especially if you are looking to get strong, because you're not gonna get strong with a five kilo dumbbell. You're just not. So let's so there but we have to bear in mind that there are gonna be some cons with those um those massive pros yeah yeah exactly and i think you hinted at it earlier in that they're very well established movements that a lot of people are very good at coaching and one of the fundamental principles of a good training program is progressive overload so something we've said many times in our programming episodes is that you need some sort of cornerstone movement so you can compare apples with apples to be sure that you are consistently asking more from your body and because of their prevalence because of the fact that a lot of people are very good at coaching them they are typically good choices to say in at least in these patterns i know i'm getting stronger that's not the be all and end all but it's indicating that things are working it's indicating that you know i'm sleeping and eating probably enough and the programming is um, appropriate to to build strength so I think that is a big pro. It's super simple, but um, it means that over time you can compare whether it's a three rep max, one rep max, whatever it is, you know that you're able to do more and produce more force in these patterns. Yeah, and then I guess this is where then including barbell variations within your training can obviously be a really positive thing because then like like as we mentioned too earlier, like with say like single leg squatting variations or like I've been utilizing bands again a lot more recently and a lot of fun having like that accommodating resistance, like deadlifting with bands is it's just such a it's such a nice feeling. However, that obviously then has its own cons itself, doesn't it? Deadlifting with bands. No, no, no. Well, no. Uh, hang on, hang on. Okay, where where you go? What's wrong with deadlifting with bands? That, I'm asking if that's... If okay, that's no, 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 no. So in barbell variations in general, I thought... Cause... <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So we'll save that for another episode. Barbell variations. Um, yeah. If you're always loading with a barbell, 
one of the things that your body will do to adapt to the barbell will be to stiffen up your spine. If you're back loading for a back squat, front loading for a front squat, if you're just holding a heavy barbell with a deadlift and not letting your spine crumple and flex to the maximum every single time, you, in the act of bracing, you are training stiffness and stillness, which helps to lift more in these barbell movements but it can be counterproductive in other movements, potentially outside of the gym. I remember one of my uh, mentees at the Training Stimulus, shout out to Elliot. He's a great golfer and he was telling us how when he started doing CrossFit and started doing a lot of barbell lifting, he actually lost distance um, in his game of golf because he wasn't rotating as well through the ball because one of the things that helps you be good at CrossFit is a stiffer spine because of all this barbell loading. So there is a trade-off to be had here. Like in terms, you need to make a decision as to what your priority is. Would you rather have a more mobile, flexible spine, which helps you do other things, or is the stiff spine actually the priority for you to enable you to lift more in these barbell movements? Because one of the commonalities between all these barbell movements is the lack of frontal and transverse plane motion. You might get a little bit of flexion and extension, but there's almost zero, well, there should be almost zero lateral flexion or rotation. And especially in the bench press, when you're pinned on a bench, your spine is almost the fulcrum around which everything else moves, but that in itself doesn't move at all. So again, what type of strength do you want? How do you want to be strong? Do you want to be strong with a mobile spine or do you want to be strong with a stiff spine? There's no 100% right answer for everybody, but I think that's a consideration that needs to be made when you are assigning priority to squat, bench and deadlift. Yeah, no, I fully agree. And I think another re another pro for obviously the squat bench and deadlift is kind of like we mentioned to earlier with the fact they're a big compound lift and they stimulate a lot of muscle in the body throughout all these throughout the exercise and throughout the reps that they're an awesome way for like bang for buck like full body muscle activation and like muscle growth but the con of that is obviously because it's not specifically targeted muscle stimulation you're limiting the amount of growth that area gets actually stimulated. So like if you're using a back squat to grow your legs, yes, you will grow your legs squatting and squatting heavy. But could you do some like leg presses or leg extensions and get more from that? Hence what we spoke, spoke, we kind of alluded to this earlier, like with the bodybuilders, like using these machines to create, get rid of the need for stability and really focus on overloading that muscle it's a much better way to grow the muscle. So you're looking for the, the most, uh, most efficient um, task being completed there so, rather than using a back squat to grow your legs because you then have your glutes working, you have your hamstring, right, your calves working, your midlines working, all these things are working. So they're all getting stimulated. But if you're looking yeah. for bigger legs, should you really be squatting? And I know there's going to be some like old school bodybuilders or like, old, like you, all you need to do is squat. Right? Yeah. That does work, but is there a better way? Exactly. And this ties into our imbalance discussion earlier in that because we're predisposed to favor certain muscles, those muscles are going to get more stimulation when we do those movements. So you might get somebody who's like a quaddy and backy deadlifter, 
So they actually don't get much hamstring or glute development out of a deadlift. And you might get somebody who's a very glutey squatter and they won't get much quad development out of a squat. And their mate next to them gets massive quads from squatting because they're very knee dominant as a squatter. And they're like, no, if you want to get big quads, just squat. Look at mine. That's mm. all I do. I don't do quad isolation work. So it becomes a difficult discussion to have because there's no absolute truth around what muscles these compound movements will stimulate for any given individual because their movement mechanics will dictate where the stress goes. And you do have a big group of bodybuilders who don't do any of squat bench or deadlift because like, if I want to grow my legs, I'll just, I'll just choose the leg muscle I want to target and I'll do an exercise that targets the quads. I'll do an or they use a Smith machine. Exactly. Yeah, they can find lots of different setups where they can be more pinpoint precise with overloading a muscle. And that is the objective, right, to overload the target muscle. Whereas when you're doing the compound, it might be more too difficult for them to actually achieve overload in the target muscle because something else might be the limiter. Say you want to grow your glutes in a squat, but your quads are the thing that gives out before you get close to failure your glutes, even if they are in and they are working, they're not going to get close to failure in a squat. So you're going to have to find another way to stimulate them anyway. And the same goes for bench press, like almost especially bench press. It's thought of as a big chest exercise, but so many people struggle to recruit their pecs in a bench press. And there's a whole host of reasons as to why. So if you are trying to grow your chest, for a lot of people, bench press is a terrible exercise mm. selection. I agree. And um yeah so again it comes back to what you are training for what the objective is for choosing this exercise if it's just for general pressing strength then it almost doesn't matter where the work goes whether it's anterior delt triceps or chest you'll still get stronger at pushing but a lot of people their chest won't get hit from doing a bench press so they might get stronger at pushing without developing their pecs at all which might miss the point of the exercise in the first place if that's why it's in the program yeah and I, I think this is also where if if you're programming for someone else and they're wanting to get generally strong like the as we mentioned to that listener question about being generally strong and robust I think this is where as a coach you need to be very clear in kind of this message and in understanding because they're probably going to expect squat bench and deadlift in their programming because it is it's in men's health, it's in men's fitness, it's in online, it's everyone's doing it. So why are you not doing it? And as a coach, you have to understand is in how much squat bench and deadlift is actually necessary for the program. And then how much is it actually a priority in the program? So not saying they can't do the movement, but actually yeah. maybe you might want to bias a single leg squat as the main key exercise. And then after that, having some bilateral squats, whether that's front squats or back squats or whatever, like, it, and then it's more like a in a like a maintenance phase with that squat pattern rather than necessarily trying to build strength. It just kind of maybe do like four sets of six to eight or something like that and progressively overload it there. So it's it's really important, and we keep saying it, but understanding the what you're doing it for to then understand the necessity for these type of movements because there are so many pros as we've kind of discussed already and. I'm a big advocate of them. I love them. I really do. I think it's it's such a there's such there's such fun skills to learn, and especially as a as someone that's coming in and I, I've trained trained a lot of newbies, like people coming into the gym and like 
them seeing other people squat benching and deadlifting and then getting them from a kettlebell deadlift to a barbell deadlift they feel that progression and i think there's yeah. such value in that and this is and it's 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 like a rite of passage and for me i really think it is like you get to a barbell deadlift once you've achieved a barbell deadlift at say body weight then you can start to diversify off elsewhere. Maybe you do a single leg deadlift, it? because you've you've built some of the foundations of general bilateral movement with that the use of extra stability. So, really don't want today to come across saying do not, we do not need to do these. And there's such a strong case with these type of exercises. But I we I think we both agree they're massively overhyped as saying you need to do them, and that's where the problem comes because they're not the only markers of strength. And I think strongman is another example. They don't do that. They just, they deadlift because they pick heavy shit up off the floor. But you don't really see many of them doing like heavy back squats because it's not, it's not in, that's not really in strongman. So it's like, do you know what I mean? So this, so you're talking about you want to be strong. That is in the name, <laughs> strong man, strong woman. Like, look at what they do. They pick heavy shit up off the floor and move stuff. They move, it's, it's just heavy CrossFit. <laughs> there is a lot of similarities between strongman and crossfit actually yeah um you should train for it but um yeah i think that's really well put in that they are foundational cornerstones of training but they're absolutely not essential and i think the key thing we keep coming back to is evaluating how well these movements align with what you want to be able to do with your body and then you can have a fair assessment of how important if they are in your program, if at all, like there are plenty of good programs out there which will not have squat bench or deadlift in, depending on what you're training for. And yeah, I think there's just one more con I wanted to mention in that the squat and deadlift movement patterns can be counterproductive for gait mechanics, partly again, because of the bracing. So you're stiffening your spine and certain parts of your body to control this movement which need to move when you are striking the floor with your foot, where we have this global loading pattern where everything flexes, all the major muscle groups start to lengthen and absorb force and your spine will laterally flex and rotate as well. We are training some of the, that movement optionality out when we over-specialize towards these barbell lifts. And I think particularly in people who, Say you're a runner and somebody says you need to do strength training, squat, bench and deadlift are not necessarily the best movements for you to pick as your, if you're doing like one or two strength sessions a week, you've only got so much time. These shouldn't be top of the priority list for a runner because they are not that uh, transferable to the movement pattern of running. Having a little bit more fluidity to go with the strength and being able to move in a more gate-like way should be more of a priority. And I think this is one of the areas where we do need to challenge and push back a little bit on them being the foundation of a strength program because runners in particular, when they're not looking to get bigger, they're not looking to improve their one rep max strength. They're just looking to build resilience against running. There are a lot more better movements to pick. Yeah, and do you want to take a little bit deeper dive into why? into why there are better movements to pick. Yeah, for sure. So if we look at the actual joint motions involved in running when the foot hits the floor, 
we've got to stabilize obviously in the unilateral position as we mentioned earlier so from the foot through to the head every part of your body will be dealing with that impact which is quite different to the way that we would descend into a squat or a deadlift where we are bracing our upper body to avoid motion completely and just trying to make it as, almost as lower body dominant as we can we're also in a lot of tension as we go through the movement whereas in a good gait cycle we have almost the crack of a whip of tension and then we actually want the muscles to be relaxed for as much of that step as we can so immediately just in terms of the, the type of muscle contractions it's quite different but in terms of the gross overall movement pattern the way the foot lands on the floor will start a chain reaction of loading patterns through yeah through the whole foot through the ankle through the knee through the hip but also then up into the upper body where the spine should laterally flex towards the stance leg and there'll be rotation as well to keep the eyes pointing forwards as the body swings through so this like if you look at an elite runner you'll notice how fluid how free flowing their bodies are as they run it's almost it looks effortless right they're just springing along like a gazelle whereas the qualities that we're training in a heavy squat a deadlift are quite distinct from that in that it's maximum tension quite a lot of stiffness rigidity and compression to to put maximum force through the floor and it's very muscular as well so we are developing a lot of contractile strength in our muscle bellies whereas in running it's much more of a plyometric tenderness movement we're using a lot of free elastic energy from our tendons which is another um it's a pro for the movements because they develop muscle belly strength and contractile strength but it's a con in that they don't proportionally load a lot of our connective tissues things like the achilles tendon which are so important in plyometric movements like running so i believe the runners would be much better served by doing more plyometric type movements much more single leg movements um more gait focused movements even like driving a sled in terms of the movement pattern and leg strength has more carryover than a heavy squat for example because at least it's unilateral at least it's alternating side to side and you get similar movements up to the pelvis so does that answer your question no it does no. it does and it's, i definitely wanted to kind of touch on those connected tissue points because it's like for me when you look at i think i really like the example there you're using the sled and like anyone knows that has used a heavy sled and done some heavy sled sprints like the amount of just like sheer leg doms and like you get like if you're pushing it or pulling it like whichever you feel it in your legs and i think that the unilateral nature of that it really it feels exactly the same well for me anyway it feels exactly the same for when i start to fatigue on the set exactly is how i start to fatigue when i run and how i just feel my body just get unnecessarily heavy going from side to side and like you know when you see someone on a sled and they're dying and they're on the last bit and their body's just breaking down it's exactly the same when you got normally someone that's not necessarily great at running and that when they're breaking down it's exactly what it looks like and it's it's funny because I don't think many people would necessarily think of a sled necessarily as a strength exercise. Like I could use, I use it as a conditioning piece, not thinking as I'm going to go heavy and use this to work on my run mechanics. 
<laughs> and it's like it, it, there is so many similarities compared to as you said like a barbell exercise even something like compared to like a barbell split squat because again it's like because it, it's locomotive with a sled you're actually moving through it moving through space which is exactly what you're doing when you're running and yeah. i think when it then comes into the world of like say you wanted to be a little bit more hybrid in your approach of like when we had uh dr phil price on and stuff like that we were talking about the specificity of if we wanted to get good at running and we wanted all of our say running strength exercises to be very specific to running then great but then it's going to leave a massive hole in the other side of stuff of being able to get bilaterally strong in our say like barbell squats and whatever so by understanding that if we want to do both at the same time we're going to be a lot slower in progress but if you're a runner trying to get better at running you're going to want to scrap any idea of i need to get stronger at a barbell back squat and say okay let's now look at some unilateral say squat mechanics that we can get stronger in that is going to directly carry over to our run so then your abs your absolute strength is very different to a barbell athlete's absolute strength but you understand what absolute strength means to you yeah, exactly. And like Iliad Kipchoge is not worried about his one No. <laughs> he actually will do the bare minimum strength training he needs to do to facilitate him running a fast marathon. And any more than that is wasted energy that he could see could be spending doing more run work. Um, which is yeah, exactly the point we're making today in that you've got to know where you're going to understand whether squat bench and deadlift are the best choices for you. Yeah, and it's 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 it might mean that you have to take a moment to actually reflect on your training, and it's exactly what I did at the end of the strength cycle that I recently done. It's exactly why when I reflected on the sumo deadlift, and I was saying to my wife like I wasn't enjoying doing this, and she's like, "Why are you sticking with it?" And it was the question of why are you sticking with it to me that then made me actually think about why, and I realised actually it was a, a purely an ego thing because I didn't back myself getting lighter and thinking I'd be able to do it again, and then if I hit anything less than three hundred in my next competition, I'm a failure. And it's, it's amazing that the what I the the story that I created, and even though like no one gives a fuck, like except for me, and that's 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 what's mental is in like we we create these scenarios that fuck I'm training these if I don't squat and bench like and deadlift when I go into a session and people say I see what I do why are you squat bench and deadlift like what does it matter what does it matter and I think once we kind of are able to step back and review and reflect on our trainings and why we're training what we're trying to train for then I think addressing the question that I got asked I mean, what's the difference between one rep max strength and general strength and robustness it just comes down to what you want and what you need, like we've spoken about in the previous episodes that we mentioned to earlier. And if you want to be squat strong in the squat bench and deadlift, then great. But understand that if you're not a power lifter, it's just not essential. But if you want to keep those as your cornerstones because you've been doing them for years and years and years and you feel very confident and proficient in them, then keep them as a staple but maybe have some variations of the lifts and whether they're unilateral lifts or the variations of a bilateral lift, like keep them in and then maybe every so often after say every like 12 or 24 weeks or something like that, maybe go back to it for a bit and see if maybe your variations of the lift you've done has actually improved your main lift without actually doing your main lift. Especially if you're not competing, then what does it matter? You might understand that 12 weeks, you've done some more uh, high hip style deadlifts, some more straight leg deadlifts, and they've done zero to your deadlift. They've actually made you a bit weaker. 
then who cares? Is that you then know that that high hip deadlift has not helped you strong in your bilateral normal deadlift. However, what it has done is expose you to different positions that's actually maybe you got stronger in something else you don't know what you were stronger yet in. Mm. Yeah. So I think, yeah, my sort of closing thoughts to summarize are that squat bench and deadlifts, not the devil, but it's also not the panacea of training that you know, everyone has to do it. We're not demonizing them. The intention behind this episode is just to encourage a bit of deeper thinking behind why they might be in your program so you can make an informed decision about whether they're the right movements for you as an individual, your clients, uh, in your situation for your goals right now, because each of those areas could change. It could be you could be in a different situation, your goals could change, and the timing and um, yeah, circumstances you're in could all vary as to whether it's the right the right movements for that particular setup. And I don't I think we don't need to be so beholden to them as absolute essentials. There's nothing wrong with them, but I think a lot of people would benefit by just questioning the priority is the key word for these movements and shuffling things around. So I hope we've made you question your training and question us why am I doing these things whether your coach is asking you to do them or whether you're choosing to do these lifts and if your coach is asking you to do them then ask talk to them and say why have we got these in my training for my goal and is there something else we could be doing and that includes my clients that listen to my pod uh, listen to this podcast uh, ask me and I, I think it's a really I think it's a re we should have those type of communication with our clients as well to make sure that everyone is on the same page and I think if we've made you think about a little bit deeper into your training and hopefully it really opens up some doors to you and think okay maybe I am on the right track maybe exactly what I am doing because it's exactly what I want to be getting better at so that's awesome but just have those questions so as always if you did enjoy today's episode we really hope you did and I hope that you want to head over to YouTube and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you wanted to leave us a little review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, that'd be great. On Spotify, if you notice now, there's a little comment box down below where you can actually leave your thoughts and leave any questions or suggestions. So if you do have any um, guest suggestions or any questions for a podcast that you'd like us to cover, it's really easy in the Spotify thing. I think it's a great little addition. So head over to Spotify and ask them there. Um, as always, you know, if you want some discount, you can head over to wit-fitness.com and get some wit kit and use the code LL15 and get 15% off your purchase. And if you want some blood flow restriction apparel, you can head over to Hytro and use the code LL20 and save yourself 20%. So, as always, thank you very much for tuning in each and every single week. We appreciate every single one of you. I'll speak to you next week. Thanks, guys. <laughs>